Well, good morning, church. It is good to be together with God's people here as we continue in our introductory BC 24 series, and we are continuing to make our way ever so slowly through Acts chapter 2, uh, verse number 42, just a single verse here. But, but I want to encourage you this morning to turn not to Acts 2, but to Ephesians chapter 2. Now, rest assured, we are still working out of Acts this morning, but we'll spend just a little more time in Ephesians chapter 2, so you go ahead and turn there. It'll be a little more helpful this morning, I believe. Now, while you're doing that, you may have noticed that our BC24 logo, which is kind of small in the the corner of the screen there this morning, it has some B words at the bottom, doesn't it? Believe, belong, become. And that's because those words describe some of the key elements of biblical community. And remember last week we dug into that that phrase of Acts 2.42 that says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And we pointed out that that phrase refers to the Word of God. It, it, It relates directly to that first B word about what we believe. In fact, last Sunday we powered through many of the core doctrines from God's Word that the common beliefs that bind us together as a fellowship of believers in Christ. Well, today, church, we're looking at the fellowship, and that's where we're going to hunker down to learn from God's Word. Remember Acts 2.42, we'll put this on screen for you because you didn't turn there, but it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Now, you may have put it together already because you're a sharp group, aren't you? You may have put it together that, well, last week, talking about God's Word, that was what we believe. And today, talking about um, the fellowship, that's going to relate more to belong. As, as fellow members of the Lord's church, we belong together. We belong to this biblical community. And if you're not yet part of us, then let me just tell you, First Hurst is a place where you can belong. That sense of belonging, in fact, is tied to what Paul wrote to the Ephesian believers in chapter number two of Ephesians. And I'm going to begin in verse 11, where he said, therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. He's really just establishing that there's there's Jews and Gentiles, okay? And there's a vast difference between, between them. But he's talking to these Gentile believers. And in verse 12, he says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. At that time, before the gospel came in, before you were saved by the grace of Jesus Christ, at that time, you were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Now, Paul talks about separated, alienated, uh, strangers, no hope, without God. That doesn't sound like belonging at all, does it? Well, that takes us to verse number 13. He said, but now, Now that the gospel has come, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You've been brought near. That is, in Christ, you belong to the community of faith. In fact, Paul will go on to talk about how the gospel creates community. Look in verse 14. For he himself, Jesus, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one, us both, Jews and Gentiles. He has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Made us both one? You know, it may be impossible for us to truly grasp the magnitude of the gulf that existed between Jews and Gentiles in Paul's day. 
I mean, you and I, we are gearing up already for what I suspect is going to be a highly divisive election season in our country, and the great gap between opposing political parties very likely will somehow continue to expand even further. But believe it or not, I'm afraid that doesn't even really approach the divide that existed between Jews and Gentiles in the first century. But here's where Paul is highlighting the power of the gospel because it allows for true, genuine community even among the two who have now been made one. This coming together, this commingling is expressed a little differently when we get to verse 15. So Jesus has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might, still Jesus, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. You see, Jesus creates in himself one new man in place of the two. The idea here is that the common denominator in these examples is the gospel, of course. It's the gospel that allows these relationships that come together in the church, and they are so connected, so commingled, so committed, so communal, that Paul described it as one new man. Or if you're reading in the NIV this morning, it says one new or a new humanity a new humanity. Paul is talking about the great power of the gospel to create biblical community even where it would seem impossible. And as we seek to understand the depth of that kind of community, what Paul's talking about in Ephesians 2, it brings us to our first point in today's outline. And as you'll see on the screen, it is koinonia, a piece of cake. It's a piece of cake, koinonia. Now that, of course, is a Greek term. In fact, it's the very Greek term that is used in Acts 2.42. It's been translated for us as fellowship. The believers in biblical community devoted themselves to the fellowship. They devoted themselves to the koinonia. They devoted themselves to precisely what Paul was talking about over in Ephesians chapter number 2. So, uh, actually, koinonia doesn't directly translate to a piece of cake, all right? That's not an exact definition. But I said it's a piece of cake because it's just so easy. It's easy to say and it's easy to spell and it's sure easy to do, right? Right. No, no, actually there's not much easy at all about it as we're going to see today. But, but, but koinonia is at the heart of that belonging element to biblical community. Let's talk about how the term is used. So secular Greek writers of ancient times, they would use koinonia often to, to refer to the uh, the, the closeness and the bond that exists uniquely in the marriage relationship. Okay, well, that's a little more intense than just a casual surface level, hey, how you doing, uh, acquaintance, or just a face in the crowd that you happen to see every Sunday across the room. Something deeper than that. First John uses this uh, same uh, word, koinonia, and he describes there the, the close fellowship that Christians enjoy with God. With Christ, 1 John 1, 3 says, indeed, our fellowship, our koinonia is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Okay, so let's get our bearings. Secular writers use this word to describe the closeness of marriage. John, the apostle, used it, the same term to talk about our closeness uh, to the Savior through the gospel. 
And then we see koinonia also used in the New Testament where it talks about the fellowship that unites Christians together in biblical community. And that, of course, is where we focus our attention today. We've seen already Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the fellowship, to the koinonia, that closeness. Philippians 1.5 states it a little differently. It talks about your partnership in the gospel, your koinonia in the gospel. It uses the word partnership there. 1 John 1.3 again tells us that because of the gospel, we can have this close fellowship, this koinonia with one another. Okay, that's how it's been used, but what does the word actually mean? Because it doesn't mean a piece of cake, right? What does it mean? Well, Thayer's Greek lexicon uh, defines koinonia as the intimate bond of fellowship which unites Christians. Okay, and we're going to talk about some of the key words in that definition to gain a better understanding, and we'll do it in reverse order, starting with fellowship. Fellowship is something that is interactive. There's a, there's a camaraderie that's involved, and there's true, deep friendships, and it's, it's satisfying and fulfilling emotionally, and it can be all of those things because there's a bond invo involved. We're bonded together, and that indicates commitment and, and connection, like we're in this together, and we're invested in one another's lives, and uh, all of that is true because there is a true intimacy in koinonia. And intimacy implies closeness and vulnerability and transparency and accountability. Remember, we said a moment ago that secular Greek writers used koinonia to refer to the marriage relationship's intimacy. I mean, where else does a human being experience such closeness and vulnerability as in the physical intimacy of marriage? The giving of oneself to, to another in marriage, like I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. We have given ourselves to one another, as Scripture says, and that demands an intimate transparency and accountability that is frankly unmatched in the human experience. And so while biblical community in the church, this koinonia, it obviously is not speaking of such physical intimacy uh, between believers. Thank God for that. Amen. <laughs> But it is an intimacy that runs a lot deeper than a potluck dinner in the fellowship hall on Sunday night. It might help to think of this koinonia intimacy in the church as someone with refrigerator rights in your life. You know what I'm talking about? Here's what I mean. So most of you know that my son, some years ago, uh, he moved off to another part of the country. That is not what his mom and I planned for, hoped for, or honestly prayed for, okay? But apparently this is what the Lord had laid out for him, so we're kind of coming around to the idea. All right, I guess it's gonna be okay. But let me just say, parents, man, isn't that what we do? We, we train them up and we raise them up so they can go do adult life, right? And man, is it not a glorious day when they finally are gainfully employed and off your payroll? Anybody, amen, right? I mean, I got a big raise that day. I digress. Let me come back. All right, here. Anyway, so here's the, th here's the point. He doesn't live with us anymore. But when Jeffrey comes to the house, when he comes home, like he did for a couple weeks at Christmas, he doesn't come into the house and be like, hey, mom, do you mind? Is it okay if I go in the pantry and look for a snack or something? Or, Dad, is it, is it all right that I open the fridge and, and look for a drink? Is there something? You know, that would be weird if he asked permission to go into the refrigerator or rummage through the pantry because there's this complete unspoken comfort already with him, and for him and for us, with him just going through the pantry and find what you want. It's not weird. It's not out of place. He's not overstepping at all. He has refrigerator rights. 
because there's an intimacy and there's a closeness between us. You tracking with me so far? All right, now when the pest control guy comes to the house for our quarterly pest control treatment, he walks through every room in my house. But I'm going to tell you, if he stops at the fridge and opens it up, starts making a sandwich, that's going to be the last time he's working at my house, right? That would be weird. <laughs> He'd be way overstepping and out of bounds. The pest control guy does not have refrigerator rights at my house. We don't have that intimate bond of fellowship that Koinonia is describing. But in the Lord's church, among this fellowship of believers, we who have partnered together in the gospel, there is to be among us an intimate bond of fellowship that unites us together in biblical community. There's to be these fulfilling friendships that are built out of a commitment to and an investment in one another's lives, a refrigerator rights kind of close fellowship where there's real intimacy and vulnerability, transparency, and accountability. You can imagine that kind of close fellowship, it, it isn't a piece of cake. <laughs> it's not easy, and it, and it doesn't really come naturally to us, but it's critical for biblical community. Speaking of a piece of cake, perhaps another helpful way to, to think of koinonia is when you bring together all the necessary ingredients to bake a cake. Now, full disclosure, this is something I have never done, all right? <laughs> you don't want a cake that I tried to bake, but I've seen it done, and I know that it begins with bringing together the ingredients, right? But you don't just lay them all out on the kitchen counter and then stick them one at a time into the pan and throw that in the oven, or you're going to get a hot mess, literally, right? <laughs> no, what do you have to do? You got you to mix them together, there's got to be commingling of the ingredients. When you're baking, you, you, you have to let those ingredients mingle together. Every element, the eggs and the sugar and the flour and whatever else goes into a cake, I don't know. You know, all those ingredients have to touch each other. They each become part of the whole so that there's no separation between them. They endure the baking process together. They go through the violent discomfort of the mixer and then through the blazing heat of the oven. And that's kind of like koinonia. As a fellowship of believers, our lives have to do more than just come to the same physical location on Norwood Drive every Sunday morning. Like those ingredients, our lives are to commingle. We endure the violent discomforts and the heat of the fire together as a body. One commentator put it this way, that in Koinonia, each life bleeds into others. That's what Paul was really talking about in Romans 12, 5. He said, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Members one of another, lives bleeding together. That's the picture of authentic koinonia fellowship. When our lives are so intimately connected in the bond of fellowship that they commingle, they blend together, they bleed into one another. That's the fellowship of biblical community. That's what the early believers devoted themselves to. And when that happens, that's when you can genuinely rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep because your lives are that connected. It's something that many of you know quite well. You could list out the people right here at First Hurst that you're that connected to, people that you're truly doing life with, people who have refrigerator rights, not just in your house, but in your life. That's koinonia. That's the fellowship. It's something we've got to devote ourselves to. Now, how that koinonia plays out day to day, 
That's a, that's a broader and bigger, uh, expansive thing than, than we can cover this morning. But we're going to drill in a little bit to talk about the interpersonal relationships that are part of koinonia. We're going to see that God's Word gives us a lot of plain, direct uh, um, uh, practical instruction in how we within the fellowship are to relate to one another. You might remember that I told you last Sunday that today we would be diving into the one another's of Scripture. And so here we go. Buckle up. We're about to, to dive in. The one another's are the ingredients list for koinonia. The one another's, the ingredients list. If we're going to experience the koinonia fellowship that God's word describes, then we need to bring to the fellowship the ingredients that God's word commands. And like those ingredients that have to come together and mix together and commingle and go through the fire together and, uh, in, in order to enjoy a delicious piece of cake, well, these one another's, these are the ingredients that you and I have to bring together in order to have the intimate bond of fellowship that unites Christians in koinonia. Now, instead of me just throwing at you this long, straight list of, uh, of commands and, and Bible verses, and I've kind of con considered the one another's and categorized them to share with you. They're, they're going to be on six slides, okay? We're going to put a lot of helpful information on these screens. You may want to write this down, but you're going to run out of room, all right? So you may want to have your phone ready to take a picture of that screen if this is something that you want to be able to refer back to. Okay, the first category of one another's, here we go. We see this morning it is genuine care for one another. Like in John 13, where Jesus said repeatedly, as we, as we read last week, love one another. And we see it again in Romans 12, and again in 1 John 4. And Koinonia starts with, the un with unconditional love for one another. And then it goes on to say care for one another in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And that's talking about more than a feeling, folks. It's talking about practical, hands-on care for others, meeting needs within the fellowship like so many of you do so very well. Sometimes we call this being the hands and feet of Jesus to one another. And, and man, I'm blessed as I see it happening within this, this fellowship of believers. It's genuine care for one another. A second category then of one another's we find is humble consideration. Humble consideration for others. Like 1 Peter 5 says, clothe yourself with humility toward one another. And that's really the base for this whole slide because all these other things you see on this slide, they are born out of a genuine humility. Okay, so Philippians 2 says, consider others more significant than yourself. That doesn't mean that you are insignificant because you're not. Remember what we said last week, that every human life is of immeasurable value and that includes yours. You're not insignificant. But in the context of community, we place others ahead of ourselves out of humility. And we honor one another. Romans 12.10 uh, directs us to do that. We, we give honor to whom honor is due. And uh, in Ephesians 5, we're told to submit to one another. And that also was born out of humility. And, and let me tell you, that's not the idea of I need to come to you every Sunday morning and say, I bow before you, I submit, how may I serve you? You know, that, that's not it. It's, it's, it's rather this idea of I surrender pursuing my own preferences and my own wants because I know it's not about me. I'm submitted to others. And, and if I can serve the needs of someone else instead of myself, I know that I'll be following the beautiful example of Jesus. 
We see a third category of one another's. It's honest treatment. Like Colossians 3 that says, do not lie to one another. You know, probably all of us know someone who's impacted by the disease diabetes, right? We probably all can, in our minds, think of someone impacted by diabetes. I'm going to tell you, I know some folks that don't have diabetes, but they have liabetes, all right? You know what I'm talking about? Like, they just lie through their teeth even when there's nothing to be gained from it. They just, something about them, they just can't seem to tell the truth. And, and I don't understand that. We're called to be people of integrity, people with honesty. And I'm going to tell you, in the context of community, honesty is critical, that we are honest with one another. And so, James 4 says, do not speak evil, against one another. This is the idea of like unwarranted criticism that damages someone's reputation. Don't go around tearing down your brothers and sisters in Christ and do not grumble against one another. James 5 says that's like complaining about others. Now, let's be honest. We're talking about honest treatment, right? Those last two, speaking evil and, and grumbling, usually we do that behind someone's back, don't we? We're talking to somebody else about those things. But I'm going to tell you, in Koinonia Fellowship, there's transparency. And so we work to resolve our differences with grace. We speak the truth in love instead of resorting to backbiting and gossip. A fourth category as we move on is patient tolerance is what I'm calling it. Like Ephesians 4 says, bear with one another in love. You know what that means? Sometimes you just got to put up with one another. <laughs> tolerate each other. And sometimes that's really hard, but bear with one another in love. Be kind to one another, Ephesians 4.32 says. Forgive one another. And I, I know about this time you're saying, Jason, there's some hard stuff on this slide. Yeah, these are hard things. But like Romans 12 tells us, live in harmony with one another. We've got to do these other things in order to live in harmony with one another. A fifth slide we see a category of hospitable service. Galatians 5 says, through love, serve one another. When was the last time you served others in the fellowship? I know for many of you, praise God, it's, it's this morning, right? You served maybe in a classroom just in the last hour. Right now, we have folks serving in classrooms, teaching the Word of God, instructing your children and your grandchildren. and we, People are serving in a lot of different ways here serving others in the fellowship. When was the last time you served others in the fellowship? Bear one another's burdens, Galatians 6.2 says. This is where our lives really start to bleed together, uh, bleed into others as we offer practical help and emotional support to our brothers and sisters. Seek to do good to one another, 1 Thessalonians 5 says. Now, let's be honest, we are sinful, fallen people. And we're not always going to do good to one another. That's not an excuse or freedom uh, to, to do wrong. It's just a reality because we're sinful people. But what does it say? Seek to do good. Work at it. Strive toward that. Always try to do good toward others. Show hospitality to one another, says 1 Peter 4.9. And then our final slide this morning spiritual accountability. Instruct one another, Romans 15, 14. You know what that means? As God has helped you grow in your faith, turn around and teach others. Sometimes we call that making disciples. 
teaching, instructing others. Confess your sins to one another, James 5 says. That's a tough one. I I don't want to do that. But you know what? In Koinonia Fellowship, there's transparency and there's accountability. And so we can do that. And we pray for one another, like James 5.16 also says. Uh, and we encourage one another. First Thessalonians chapter number 4. Specifically, this is talking about encouraging others in the faith. That command actually comes at the tail end of Paul talking about the great and glorious future we have to look forward to when Christ returns. And so he says, encourage one another with these words. He's saying, build one another up in the faith. Encourage them with the truth of God's promises. And Hebrews 10, 24, stir up one another in love or to love and good works. And that's what I'm doing this morning. I'm stirring you up to love and good works. Now, let me tell you, you bring all the right ingredients together And you mix them such that every individual element becomes part of the whole and you you put it all through the uncomfortable mixer and then through the fire of the oven and you end up with a delightfully delicious piece of cake that's to be truly enjoyed like this one that I have right here. (laughs) This is from our friends at Nothing Bunt Cakes. Glory to God. They know how to make some cake over there, right? I mean, they know how to put the the ingredients together and bake it through the fire just right, and it comes out delicious. In fact, let me just show you. Mm. No, now that's something to be enjoyed right there because it's the ingredients have come together just right. Mmm. I'm going to enjoy that later. Okay. So, similar to that, as God has brought us together, and as we bring all these one another ingredients to the table, as our lives begin to truly commingle in the intimate bond of fellowship, as we walk through the through the mixer of trials and through the fire of struggles together as we devote ourselves to the fellowship, to the koinonia, I'm telling you the result is something that is delightful and something that is to be enjoyed as the people of God. Koinonia is a beautiful, delightful thing. And so this morning as you evaluate your own participation in the fellowship, remember Biblical community, it's not something that just passively happens to you. It's something that you have to actively participate in. As a believer in the body of Christ, you've got to pursue biblical community. And so this morning, maybe the Lord is calling you to pursue biblical community. And he's saying you need to just expand your circle. Like you're kind of closed off uh, yourself and, and, and your little friend group and no one can seem to break in and the Lord may be saying, hey, you need to open that circle wider and maybe begin to pursue someone who you see on the fringe, someone who hasn't found that sense of belonging that should mark the koinonia at first Hurst. Or it may be that the Lord's telling you this morning, you need to pursue biblical community by opening yourself to be part of a circle, a community of believers instead of just coming and sitting and going and never connecting with others. Let your life begin to commingle a little bit. It requires some vulnerability. Mingle with some others here in the fellowship. I'm going to tell you the best place to see that happen is in a Bible study group. 
And so if you're not already in one, that's your next step. Let your life begin to bleed into others. Allow yourself to be vulnerable and transparent with these partners in the gospel here in your church family. Practice the one another's may be what the Lord's telling you this morning. Like as we went through those slides, you may be looking up on the screen and there was that one thing that the Spirit of God just said that. You know you're not doing it. And it's time to start. Maybe that's how he's calling you to pursue biblical community today. However, the Spirit of God is calling you this morning, would you, would you just think and, and pray on that? Would you open yourself this morning to the moving of God's Spirit? And let me invite you, as you're praying on that, to bow with me and let's pray together. Father, thank you this morning for your word of truth. I thank you for what you've created in Koinonia Fellowship, allowing us as believers to come together with this bond through the power of the gospel that is simply unexplainable outside the powerful working of the Spirit of God. We thank you for what we are able to experience as believers together in this fellowship. It is a sweet, beautiful thing to be enjoyed, even better than that piece of cake. Father, this morning, some are not enjoying the koinonia. Maybe the circle's too small and they need to expand it. Maybe they haven't gotten into a circle at all. Or maybe there's that thing from the screen, one of those one another's that you're calling them to begin practicing, to bring the right ingredients to the table, to build up and strengthen the koinonia fellowship of First Hurst. God, we just pray that you as the, the Spirit of God, that you would just move freely among us and that we would respond in obedience and faith. That is our desire in the time ahead. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.